Isn't that cool to see 71 people make declarations that they're going to walk with Jesus and follow him and uh, to uh, publicly pronounce that through baptism? It doesn't get any better than that, does it? So congratulations to all those people. Cool stuff. And if you'd like to get baptized in 2016, this is your year, and we're set for you. So let us know. And uh, you don't have to belong to First Christian Church. You don't have to worship with us or anything like that. If you just want to make a declaration that... You want Jesus Christ is in charge of your life. You want to make that known. We'd be glad to help you out in that regard. So welcome to First Christian Church this morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Guests, my name is Wayne. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm very glad you're with us today. We're going to spend some time looking at Psalm 96, and I'd invite you to take a Bible. And there's one in the pew rack in front of you. It's right in the middle of the book, okay? Psalm 96 is where we're going to look. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home as our gift to you, all right? And Tyler... Um, just can you heads up to the tech team? I'm going to move and that do more about Jesus. That, all right, let them know. Great, thanks. Making it up as we go here, guys. Give them two minutes warning. How's that? I want to, um, Leslie's going to sing and she didn't know she was going to sing. So there you go.
How's that? Start practicing, honey. <laughs> Excuse me. So this past week, we had a very interesting thing happen. Uh, we had some, some guys from the church uh, working in the upper, uh, on the second floor of our building up over here, above the attic space. So they're actually above the ceiling tile, above the insulation, and they're pulling some cables through for some, a project we're working on, and they came across up, in, up inside there this pack of envelopes. They brought it down to the office, and we wanted what it was. Now, we figured it out over the last few days that this was a project that a junior high class did about 10, maybe as many as 12 years ago. Because as we went through the list, these are obviously letters that kids wrote and put in some sort of like a time capsule, if you will, namely the church above the ceiling. But there you go. <laughs> no one will ever find it up here. Well, we didn't for some 12 years. So we have Rachel, we have Jordan. So if, I'll tell you who I think these are. We've not opened the, we've only opened one. This is Rachel Howard. We think this is Jordan Peck, Connor Chastain, Matt, as in Matt Guyman, Shelby Hutchins, Megan Peterson, Alyssa E, as in Alyssa Edgecombe, we would think. This one might be our son because we can't read it at all. <laughs> it's, it looks like the last name begins with a K. That's as much as we know and... Ben and I had many chats about his handwriting over his young career as a, as a student in, in junior high. David Hunley, Chloe, as in Chloe Pistorius, Ali Coley, John, John Reimer, Bo Sullivan, and a J, which would probably be for uh, J. Maxwell, we think, because they were all in a junior high class together. And um, so we called Rachel. We called Rachel because we knew that'd be Rachel Howard. And uh, this is what hers looked like. We asked for permission to open it up. We assumed they all looked like this. And I already had somebody come to me last night and say, hey, my name was mentioned. Can I have mine? And so one's already disappeared to last night. So it, it, it sounds like they're letters to Jesus, which in fact they are. It says, dear Jesus. And there's three statements that they make or that are printed on this, and then they get to respond to that. So it says, I want to express a few things I know about you. And they're expressed. The next one is, I want to express how I feel about you. And then finally, I want to express some questions I have about you. And Rachel, you can see in brown magic marker has filled that out. And we're anxious to let everybody get these envelopes and see what they thought about and their spiritual lives 10, 12 years ago. What's really cool is I know these kids and all of them today as young adults, most of them married, not all of them, but most of them are married. And many of them have children now of their own. Here's what I know. Many of them are still in the life of our church and they still walk with Jesus. That's more important when they're in the life of our church. It's really cool stuff that we've discovered this, both for us as a congregation to know, hey, we're impacting the lives of kids and 10, 12 years later, you can see it playing out. And it makes me wonder, if you were to write a letter to Jesus that would be discovered by a stranger some 10 to 12 years from now or 100 years from now, what would it say? What would you want to write? What would you want to say, you know, a, a letter that would detail your hopes and dreams for a future spirituality? Would it include things like, well, I, I, I want to have a better relationship with God. I want to know more about Jesus. I want to have greater insight from the Holy Spirit. I want to take on the attributes of the scripture talks about, about love and joy and peace and gentleness and patience, patience and self-control. Those kinds of things. That's the driver of today's message. 
this business about, okay, I know these kids, and their spiritual lives have not been flat lines. They've gone like this in the years since then. And I'd like to know that if I was to pray and write something down and use it as a marker to come back 10, 12 years later, I would just say, I know a little more about Jesus and my spirituality is a little deeper. So Les, that's your cue. We're going to sing a song. You guys got some lyrics for everybody? And we don't sing this song normally here, but some of you old schoolers will know this. And we're going to sing, guys, so you know, verse, chorus, chorus. We may come back around to chorus one more time. All right? And the idea is to just sing a song that reflects this... (laughs) We're going to sing a song that reflects... uh, It's an old hymn that just says, I want to know a little more about Jesus. So if you, if you know it, join in. If you don't, well, you'll soon catch on. It goes like this. More about Jesus Okay, I'm changing it up, guys. We're going to sing that again, all right? They love me upstairs. They always love me upstairs when I do this, okay? Now that you got it, can you sing it with her? With us? Okay. More about Jesus. One more time. Is that your prayer? Is that your prayer? Did you know a little more about Jesus? Or perhaps so that when you get to be 10 to 12 years older than you are today, you'd know a whole lot more? Can we talk about that today? It's a basic driver of this sermon this morning. You know that, um, if you've been with us in recent weeks, that back in July, it was 30 years that I'd been in pastoral ministry, and I took some time to reflect on all of that and give some pause to figure out what does it mean in my life and who are the people I'd met in 30 years, what had I learned. And as I was making my way through that, it, I kind of had these ideas of, you know, I've heard a lot of people ask me to have conversations about various matters or to pray with them about various matters, and usually it's around five different areas, common threads in all of our lives. 
that we want to know how is God going to impact our relationships with other people. We want to know how is God going to be engaged in our health. How are we going to know what God says to go this direction or that direction when it comes to decisions in careers and homes and finances and all that sort of stuff, just direction in life or... Today, how do we know that our spirituality is growing and one that is a spirituality that pleases God? And then finally, next week, we'll look at how do we know what God would say to us and we deal with our finances. And in order to really make this a little more potent, we brought this to the elders many weeks ago before you knew all about this. And we asked them to begin praying for you. And we said, is there a way in which we could make this idea of common threads a little more tangible? And so in your pew there somewhere today are some threads in a bucket. And we've been making these bracelets. And um, the idea is this. I know they're not pretty. Mine has been on for many weeks now. And uh, we want you to take that piece of thread and tie it around your wrist or tie it around the, you know, your purse or your key ring. And as you do that, and now you should have a if you've been with us, you should have four different colors. This is what we want you to know. Be mindful. Be affirmed that there are people in this congregation praying for you. So if you come across that this week and you go, okay, what's with that? Oh, yeah. There are people at First Christian Church who are praying for me this week in regards to my spirituality. And so to that end, I want you to read a passage of Scripture, Psalm 96 with me, that speaks to the whole matter, Psalm 96. It's a short psalm, so let's read it out loud together, Okay. Everyone reading out loud, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all your families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. For he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. If you want to know how to have a trajectory in your spirituality that goes up and that reflects this kind of prayer and this kind of work in the lives of the young people of our congregation, this psalm summarizes it best. It summarizes a spiritual life that God expects and it basically says, to have the kind of spirituality that honors God is this. Your main responsibility is to do this. Worship God. That's it. Worship God. And you read this and you go, okay, all right, fair enough. But it talks all about the singing business. And you're immediately saying, well, does that mean I've got to be a better singer? Is worship only about singing? And some of you say, man, if that's the case, I'm in real trouble. Have you heard me sing? They say. That's why I didn't sing at the piano unless they sang for me. Sometimes we think, well, you know... I read this and I go, isn't this business of worshiping, isn't it best left 
to those who are trained, or if not that, at, at least those who have something in the front lobal portion of their brain or their left brain, whatever it is, where they get it and they understand it. As for me, I'll just stand and kind of listen. When you hear you need to worship and you read verses like verse 7, it says, Ascribe to the Lord all your families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glories do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness and tremble before him all the earth. You read that and you go, that seems really weird and silly to me as compared to my personality and musical giftings. And you say, I'm supposed to tremble? What's that trembling look like? I'll feel silly if I tremble. <laughs> I get that. I got that again this week. I was um, trying to fix something at the house. The carbon monoxide alarm in our basement was going off about every 10 minutes. Not, it wasn't the alarm where it goes, it's like the panic alarm where everybody get out of the house and that sort of stuff. Just, I went down there and the yellow trouble light would beep about every 10 minutes and go, bonk, bonk. And I'm going, what to do with this? Now, I'm fairly handy. I'm not afraid to take on, on subjects like this. So I got out the ladder, and I got up there, and I thought, okay, all i got to do is take the housing off, and I'll look in there and see what's going on. But I was very cautious about it because I thought, Wayne, don't make a stupid mistake right now because it's connected to power. Be careful. And it's also connected to the alarm company that monitors our house. And if you grab a hold of that housing too tightly and yank the whole thing down, the next thing you know, the fire department's going to be here and you're going to have a lot of explaining to do. So I'm messing with it, pulling, pulling. It's, it's rocking back and forth. And I'm going, don't make the alarm. Don't make the fire department come in it. I mean, I'm thinking, well, you know what? It just will not pop off. That, you know, the outer, the, okay, so they've obviously designed it. I'm aware, half-life of all that sort of stuff. And these things have a, a life of shelf life, 12 to 15 years. We've been in the house 13 years. And the light's going on. I'm thinking, well, they've obviously designed this that a non-technician like me is not supposed to get into it at all. Call the technician. I called the guy. He came to the house, all right? My ladder, I left the ladder. He climbs up the ladder and he goes, oh, yeah. And he goes, slides it like that. What's with that? Who ever heard of a sliding thing? That was so stupid. So stupid. And he goes, and he puts, he goes, well, I know what the problem is. When did you change the nine volt battery in this last? I'm going, it's wired, it's powered. Who would know there's a nine volt in there? If I would, if, if I'd had it off before now, do you think I'd call you? So here's the deal. It needs a new 9-volt battery. That's all because the battery at 12 years old is needing to be switched because it never gets used. It's powered, all right? So he didn't have one. I had one. I, I just bought one, I, a couple, so I bring it down, put it, he puts it up, and I'm feeling really stupid. I mean, anyone can do that, right? I could have done that if I'd only thought it slides. Why didn't I slide it? And then he goes up and he writes up the bill. And I tell you, I'm feeling really stupid as I'm standing at the kitchen counter. And he goes, you know, it's basically $35 for the service call. I'm thinking, oh, man, that's a lot of money to get. That was just to get him in the door. <laughs> then there was labor. I'm going, what labor? I'm the one who carried the ladder. <laughs> labor, $30, $65 total. And I'm looking, I'm feeling really stupid. I'm thinking, that is the most expensive battery I've ever purchased. And I purchased it twice. 
And I gotta tell you, friends, I felt really stupid, felt really silly. I should have been able to figure this out. I'm a fairly handy guy. I'll take on all kinds of things around the house. And I was reminded as I was looking at Psalm 96 this week that some of you here in this room, you feel similar when you hear technicians, worship technicians like me, if you will, tell you to worship God in the splendor of his holiness. And you feel silly because you'd go, if it was just that easy, I would have done it a long time ago, right? What does it mean to worship God? It means that we orient our whole life toward honoring God. We choose to live as scripture suggests. We plan our lives like these kids did some 10, 12 years ago. We plan our lives saying, I will live in a way that I grow closer to Christ, but I will live in a way that honors God. Jesus put it this way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father who is in heaven. It's really, frankly, to live that way is quite antithetical to contemporary culture. Contemporary culture where personalities and individual are idolized. We're said, you know, you were told by our culture, you get to dream your dream, you get to live differently and everything, but you only get to do that as long as you conform to the patterns that they lay up for us. But I would suggest, friends, to be really different, worship God. That's what it says in verse 2. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Now, obviously, there's music and singing mentioned again there, but there's also a focus on declaring God's glory to the nations, to people who are outside your normal circle. Live honoring God so that others will know that you follow him. You know, our culture, who are we kidding, has a bias against this sort of life approach. To be Christian these days is to be ridiculed. And frankly, I'm quite weary of hearing about the separation of church and state as if Christians are not supposed to have access to, the public, to public influence. The separation of church and state, may I remind you, when it was originally, when our forefathers originally put it in place, was so that the state would not tell people how they are to live. It was that the state was not going to have influence on the matters of religion, Christian or not. But now it appears that the state is opposed, or the culture is certainly opposed, to any religious influence, including Christian. And sadly, our culture has belittled and ridiculed and denigrated, denigrated Christianity so much now that to often have a Christian voice in the public square, you're considered to be stupid and ill-informed and not educated. But I'm asking you boldly, boldly live in a way that brings glory to God, and thus your voice will be heard loudly. To live otherwise is to conform, and in fact, to be poisoned by our culture. When we are afraid to lift our voices to the glory of God, we lose and so does the world around us. Because scripture says to declare the glory of God to the nations, including our own nation. I'm not going to take on that poison. Will you? Let me see if I could frame the question in a different way. A number of weeks ago, while prepping for one of the Wednesday radio shows that we have on WSOY, on a Tuesday, I saw a brief note come across my desk on the wires that I look at about potential water problems in Flint, Michigan. At that point, it wasn't known across the nation like it is today. And that, just that brief note that they had some water problems there seemed intriguing to me. I called up uh, the city officials and said, can I get a couple water guys to be on the air with me tomorrow night? They complied in two 
wonderful gentleman came on the air and explained to me and our listeners uh, where Decatur is in terms of public water safety and what happened in Flint and why there was problems with the water in Flint. I learned the issue is not that there is lead in the water, though they do have lead in the water. It's not that the water they're getting has lead in it. Instead, what happens is if you have an old city like our own even, where the, where the pipes in the, in the ground or the pipes in homes are lead pipes, over years, lime builds up inside those pipes and actually protects the water from the lead. However, if you start pushing through water through those pipes that is more acidic than what the lime can handle, the lime begins to break down and thus the lead leaches through into the water. That's what was happening in Flint. Here's why. In 2011, Flint, Michigan faced a financial crisis and the city officials learned they could save $19 million over eight years if they would switch the source of their water from the city of Detroit to to their own river that was flowing by the the city. And so they did that, as you would expect city officials to do in our own city. If we learned that we could save $19 million in over eight years, we'd say, do something about that. That's what they did. The trouble was they didn't realize that the water coming out of the Flint River was far more acidic than the water coming out of Detroit. And this was in 2011. Here it is a number of years later. That acidic water has has been flowing through the pipes for the last four and a half years, and now it's eaten away at all the lime, which was was protecting their population. And now the lead is leaching into the water. Lead is actually being brought into people's homes. It's being brought into the businesses. GM stopped using Flint water because it was so acidic. It was actually eating away at their machinery as they were using machines and pumps to... Build their machi- to build the engines. The EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, says that it is okay to have lead in the water 15 parts per billion. 15 parts per billion. That's very small. Here's how much lead is coming through the taps in the homes of Flint at present. 13,200 parts per billion. Not 15, 13,200. The most significant problem is this. If you have lead in the water... It impacts the neurological development of children's brains. And that problem is not known until the kids reach into puberty and it is discovered that their intellectual capabilities have been diminished and compromised. I want you to look at this photo on the screen right now. It's a photo taken by Brett Carlson of Getty Images. It's a photo that I find incredibly disturbing. It's a photo of a young man by the name of Matt Hopper. Perhaps you saw this on, uh, out on the internet this week. He's holding and comforting his daughter, Nyla. She's age five. Here's why. She's just, had a, she's just had a needle stick, a blood draw. She's not happy about it. She goes to Eisenhower Elementary School in Flint, and free lead screenings are being performed, have been performed, on all children under the age of six in Flint because of the water's contamination and the federal state of emergency. She's not happy about the blood draw. You get that. But how would you feel not only subjecting your five-year-old to a blood draw and the pain, pain of a needle stick? That's one thing. But how would you also feel at the possibility of diminished intellectual capabilities because of the water that you poisoned your own child with as you poured water into that glass for dinner each night, as you boiled the potatoes, as they were bathing in water where the lead was leaching into their skin? That's what the families of Flint, Michigan face these days. It's one of the most powerful photos I've seen in a long time. And it has implications for us today. See, if the culture around us, even at its best, is amoral, 
The culture around us certainly does not promote values that are consistent with Psalm 96. The culture around us ridicules worship of God. And that has implications for us because if you think about the Flint, that culture flows into us and through us and over us and out of us. And that culture coming in can corrode and eat away at the very core of who we are. And that cutting acidic stuff out there and even in the church at times can poison our spirits. We have to intentionally make a decision. We're not going to take that water. We're going to be counterculture. We're going to think and act differently than the culture around us. We're going to be people who say, we're going to worship God even if others don't. We're going to live our lives to honor God long before we live our lives to please ourselves or even other people. And there's an ironic thing in Scripture about this. It's fascinating to me. We say, okay, i got to do a lot of things that I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to you know, work. I'm supposed to figure out how to take care of life. I'm supposed to plan retirement. I'm supposed to plan for my family and all that sort of stuff. And I'm supposed to have a great time doing it. And I got to focus on all that. Scripture says, ironically, don't do all that first. Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God first. Deal with the matters of spirituality first in terms of a relationship with God. Seek his kingdom first, and then, the matter, then all the other things, your needs, your future, your understandings of how to do life, your relationships, all of that will be added to you. Huh. Don't go after that. Go after him, and then all that stuff will be there regardless. That's so, can I tell you what's so good about that kind of spirituality? It's this counter, countercultural approach. It's timeless. It's a worship-filled lifestyle that is not based on the fickle demands of a shifting cultural landscape. Instead, we live our lives with the spirituality that comes right out of Psalm 96. It says, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. And it's timeless then because we join with people of many millennia, many people throughout the ages who have chosen to worship God despite their historical setting or their cultural climate. God has not changed, friends. We've already sung about that today. And humanity's need to worship God has not changed either. Keep that front and foremost in your spirituality. And you know what? The grace of God in Jesus Christ will carry you through all the other stuff and carry you so that you get to do things like this and say, 10 years from now, I'm going to be better. Next week, I'm going to be better. Do you know what? This afternoon, I'm going to be better than I was yesterday afternoon. Let me explain it this way. I want you to see another photo. It's a photo of a fellow by the name of Kevin Plank. He's the brains and driving force behind Under Armour. You guys familiar with that clothing outfit? That, they're more than an outfit. $4 billion in annual revenue. That's more than just a small concern, right? $4 billion in annual revenue. He's featured on the cover of Inc. Magazine this, this month. Here's why. You may know that he's a former Division I football player. And he discovered as a college player that... The cotton shirts that he was wearing under his pads, his T-shirts, once they got full of sweat, he would chafe and be uncomfortable. He would end up thinking far too much about how uncomfortable he was instead of playing the game. So he came up with an idea. What if I could create or invent some sort of fabric that could go under the pads that doesn't chafe, that, that pulls the moisture, and he, he invented moisture-wicking fabrics. And he set up shop in his grandmother's basement with a sewing machine, and his first major sale was to Georgia Tech, to that football team, in 1995. And 21 years later, 21 years later, he's not doing it in grandma's basement anymore. 13,500 employees, $4 billion in annual revenue. 
He's known for being uh, somebody who has all kinds of pithy sayings and euphemisms, and he, he writes them all around uh, in, in the headquarters. They have whiteboards, and he writes these sayings down as a way to, um, if you will, energize his employees. Like, here's one. Think like an entrepreneur. Create like an innovator and perform like a teammate. I like that. Or here's another one. Nobody ever won a horse race by yelling, whoa. Well, there's truth there. They've been in, if they've gone from zero to $4 billion in 21 years, they haven't said whoa at all. Now, those sorts of statements, if you will, are written in whiteboards everywhere. And of late, he's kind of got his sales force and his company a little bit up in arms and the whole business community watching with some alarm. In the last year, he spent $1 billion buying computer companies that create apps for cell phones. The computer business is a long way from T-shirts and shoes. But here's why. He's convinced in the days ahead, the apparel that they're creating will actually be able to give doctors the metrics of our bodies. I mean, how many of you are wearing a Fitbit this morning, right? But going beyond just wearing it here, it'll actually be embedded in, your, in the clothes you're wearing. And he's bet the company a billion dollars on that's going to happen. As a matter of fact, this morning, I was up at 4 o'clock, saw a news, news piece come across my iPad. Time magazine said, today... Scientists are announcing that they can now, with one drop of sweat embedded in your clothing, they can tell you about what you ate, what your heart rate is, and what your blood pressure is. He's ahead of the game. He's ahead of the game. He's betting the company on that future. However, you need to know that Under Armour and Kevin Plank have not lost sight of their intent and what they want to do with their business. They know it's important to keep the main thing the main thing. That's because despite that huge investment in potential sources of new income, here's one whiteboard saying that is written in his company. It's featured throughout the building. Don't forget to sell shirts and shoes. <laughs> keep the main thing the main thing. In the same way, friends, despite our culture's ridicule of us who follow Jesus Christ, despite your ongoing and legitimate questions about your relationship with God, remember this, your main thing, your main life objective, your best approach to Christian spirituality that's discovered in Jesus Christ is found right here in Psalm 96. It says, verse 4, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. The main thing? The main thing for you this week, not selling t-shirts. Maybe some of you, that's your job. That's not your main thing. Worship God. Land there. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all the rest will be added to you. In order for you to understand this and hear this in a little bit better way today, I'd like to invite you to pray. But in order to pray together... Uh, as we made our way through this series, we wanted to hear voices coming from the pews rather than the professional technicians of worship. Tabitha Billy, who is one of the elders in our church, is coming to lead us in prayer today. Tabitha, you would come at this time. Let us pray together and ask God to help us focus our lives on honoring him this week. In the name of Jesus, Tabitha, will you lead us, please? Let's pray. God in heaven, we come before you now in awe of who you are of your works, and that you love us. Lord, we live in such a broken and chaotic world that it is often so easy to focus on struggles and pain. Help us to remember that our lives and the purpose of our being is to honor and worship you, not just with singing, but with how we live our day-to-day -day lives, decisions, and interactions. May what we say and do be a witness and proclamation of your greatness. 
May our actions be an example to our family and friends of what your love is. God, give us a spirit of boldness. We see each day how our world and our culture is rejecting you and shaming and sometimes even harming your people. Help us to remember that we are children of a great God who has already defeated the evil one. Nothing that happens here in this world can ever separate us from you. Grant us the strength to go from this place and into our weekly routine with a renewed courage and conviction to be a light to the world. May our lives be the greatest act of worship we could ever give. In your name, amen.